Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey guys and gals, it's Andrew Porter of WIP Radio. I just want to thank you for all the kind words, comments, ratings, uh, reviews of Wired This Way. It is much appreciated. Please rate and subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Um, And I hope you enjoy the show. This episode is with Glenn Mack now. I'm standing at the urinal, and I just kind of looked to my right, and it was Wayne Gretzky. <laughs> Again, this has nothing to do with anything, but right. I'll always re- I'll always associate coming to WIP with the time I peed next to Wayne Gretzky. Right after you got an offer. Right yeah. after I got an offer. Yeah. It was a pretty pretty big day. From 94 WIP, it's Wired This Way. The life stories of the top sports personalities in Philadelphia, the choices they've made, and how they've achieved their success. I'm Andrew Porter. From Buffalo to Boston to Florida to Philly, from writing to radio, movies, food, beer, books, and plays, Glenn Macknell has done it all. December 6, 2018 marks Glenn Macknell's 25th anniversary at WIP Radio in Philadelphia. As one of the best storytellers in the station's history, it was time we heard Macknell's story from the horse's mouth. I was born um, 1955, Queens, New York. When I was eight days old, my parents moved out to Long Island, Massapequa. I spent my first three years there. I don't remember much about it. Um, My father, who worked on Madison Avenue, was commuting every morning from Long Island to New York and back and got tired of leaving before his kids were awake and coming home after his kids were asleep, so decided to move, got a job offer in upstate New York, like most people in New York City, he didn't know what upstate New York was. Turned out it was Buffalo, which was seven hours away from New York, uh, but took it. So when I was three years old, we moved to Buffalo. Um, so growing up, uh, what was that time like in Buffalo, brothers, sisters, your relationship with your parents, and, and your relationship with sports? Um, I have one older sister, three years older than I. We were close. We're still close. She moved. My sister hated the cold, which... Buffalo has some cold, so as soon as she graduated college, my sister moved to California, where she's lived ever since, Um, worked 30-something years as a mail carrier, and just recently retired from that. So I grew up, you know the TV show, The Wonder Years? Yep. I am exactly the same age as that kid, Kevin, in that show. It's the same time, you know, and he's 12 in 1968, so am I, and um, my life was just like his. It was suburbs. Not real well-to-do, but we were pretty comfortable. I had my own bedroom. Um, and, uh, you know, just being being afraid of the big kids bullying on you and having the crush on the girl down the street, I was... Th- that show could have been on, on my life. I, I loved that show when it came out because that was how I grew up. Um, and, and when did you start to develop a passion for sports or did you develop a passion for writing first? Or how No, I was, a, I was a sports geek. So when I was a... I don't know, six or seven years old, I turned on the TV and they were playing football. Um, 
and I just was immediately struck by that game. I was a little kid, and I was riveted to it. I loved it, and so I was a football fan from as early as I can remember. It was the Buffalo Bills who were very good at that time. Cookie Gilchrist was my favorite player as a kid, Jack Kemp, all these guys. My father was not a sports fan per se, um, he was a little bit of a baseball fan, having grown up in New York in, in the you know, 40s, 30s, 40s, 50s. Um, but I dragged him to his first football game because I so much wanted to go. And um, we loved it. I loved it. And then I got him to love it. Um, where I grew up, it was cold. So in the winter, you either went outside and did stuff or you just sat in all, all winter. So... Um, I started playing hockey, started skating and playing hockey. I wasn't great, uh, but I loved it. Uh, I skied when I was younger. See, my problem when I was a kid was I was small. I was the last one to grow. I was the last kid on the block to like hit puberty. Right. right? So everybody in high school is five eight, six feet tall, six feet two, going out for the baseball team. I'd been a good little league player. I was a good baseball player, but all of a sudden everybody's like eight to ten inches taller than me and big with like you know teenage muscles and I'm still a kid I'm still a pipsqueak so my athletic career unfortunately whatever it would have been which wouldn't have been great got dragged down by the fact that uh, I just I was such a late bloomer that I, right. I wasn't big enough um, and then you went to high school in Buffalo, I assume. Or I went to high school in the suburbs yeah. of Buffalo, Amherst Central High School. What was those those four years like? Um, so again, I, I played sports with my friends in the neighborhood. Right, I, I played just sandlot ball and right. street hockey and and skated. I I, I hit four hundred as a JV baseball player, two for five. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I couldn't get off the bench, right? right? But I wanted to play. Um, so I went to high school at a, like a pretty tumultuous time in the country. It was the Vietnam War. People were politically motivated. They were active. It was the long hairs versus the old guard. Um, and I was one of the long hairs. And I was, I was out there as a 16-year-old protesting the war. I remember they used to have the, the draft lottery. Um, which and I'm not talking about the NHL, right? right? They used to have this thing where once a year— they would pull the numbers out of a hopper of... Birth dates, right? Yeah, yeah, it was it was two. One was they'd pull out your birth date, and then there was another one they'd pull out a number. So it'd go like number 64, November 13th. And um, people I know who are a year or two older than me, my sister was three years older than me, her friends would on, on this day just be petrified. And she had a friend whose number came up number eight, and it's like he's got to go in, and people were dying in Vietnam. So I, you know, thought that was pretty horrible. Fortunately for me, they abandoned the draft lottery just the year before I became that age. And I don't think my parents will let me go. My parents were pretty, very politically uh, active as well. Well, I don't know about active, but my parents had good opinions, strong opinions on that kind of stuff. Um, My dad, well, my mom was a school teacher and very funny. My mom passed away. My father, who bless him, is still alive and doing well at 88, um, was a commercial artist. And my father made money on the side in Buffalo by being a stand-up comic and, um, like, doing some acting. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And he was, he was, I mean, he, you know, he'd, like, have a gig a month. Did where you he'd... watch him perform oh, often? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was good. I mean, he it was like old Borscht Belt jokes, right? Like Henny Youngman kind of, you know, that old Buddy Hackett stand-up <laughs> stuff, really Jewish humor. Um, and the the seventy-five-year-old women loved him, man. He they they just they That's dug funny. him. So when did you? Um, so you went to BU, but. Did you know you wanted to get into journalism and writing when you went, or when did that passion kick in? So I originally was going to go as an art student. I got into Boston University as a fine art student. Again, my father was a commercial artist. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were they were good with that. They were encouraging you to do, oh, to sure. do that route. Oh, sure. You know, yeah. my father would be delighted if I had followed in his footsteps. Mm-hmm. And I was pretty good. I mean, I, I, I could draw and paint, and I was pretty good. Um, and for whatever reason, I think it was... At the time, I'm 17, 18 years old, and like my dad does this, so therefore I don't want to do it. It was, it was kind of that stupidity of being that age and deciding you had to rebel against your parents. So I decided like as soon as I get in as an art student that that's not what I wanted to do. Um, so I was initially, when I went there, I was a film major. I was going to become, you know, Steven Spielberg. Um, and then... Um, I took a writing course and I liked it and I was better than I thought I would be. I, you know, I was pretty good. And so I took another one and then I took another one. And then I had, um, a professor, Tim Cohane, who was the former editor of Look Magazine, which doesn't even exist, you know, hasn't existed for years, but it used to be like Life Magazine, Look Magazine. And he said to me, I'm going to do it in his voice. He goes, Mr. Macnow. I think you have a good book in you. And, you know, you're That 20... kind of stuck with you. Oh, gosh, yeah. yeah. You're 20 years old, and somebody says that to you who'd, who'd been there, right. you know, who was, who was accomplished. He's the, he's the guy who persuaded me, the first one who persuaded me I could make a living at it. Wow. And then, um, so through, through your time at BU, you got involved with the paper and began writing sports, or...? Yeah, well... Yeah. I wrote some sports. I, I worked for, BU had two papers, and the good thing about them is neither of them was run by the school. They were both independent, so you could do whatever you want. So I wrote some sports. I covered the hockey team there, which was the world-class hockey right. team, NCAA finals. You know, I mean, when I was there when Michael Ruzioni was there and, right, you know, right. and some of those guys from that Olympic team. So that was pretty exciting. But I also, I was a politics guy. So I also covered um, because your parents kind of gave you that. Yeah, yeah, because my parents and and again I think just because of the times right. it was it was the tumultuous '60s into the '70s and um, I was very um, involved in that. So I covered a lot of politics uh, and I majored in political science, journalism, and political science or journalism history. And so I I thought that's what I would do. Part of this was this was this was also Watergate. Right. And so this was a time, believe it or not, when like the media were heroes. Reporters were like these dynamic figures, Woodward and Bernstein. And they put out this movie, All the President's Men. It just seemed like a really sexy, cool job as opposed to now. And so that whole aspect of, you know, my plan was to go to Washington and uncover the next great scandal. A Florida connection landed Glenn his first job out of college in Cocoa Beach, a small town that really allowed Glenn to gain valuable experience as a writer. From there, he transitioned to covering politics in Fort Lauderdale. 
And it's, even then, it, getting your first job was tough. Right. It, is, it is today for most people, and it was then. And as much as newspapers once upon a time were growing, it was still hard to get in. I had done a summer internship for my um, local paper, Niagara Falls uh, Gazette. I had done an internship for them. And the guy who had been the head editor there moved to Florida and was um, the head of the state bureau, Tallahassee Capitol Bureau, for Gannett Newspapers. And I reached out to him, and he helped me get a job. My first job out of college was for a newspaper called Coco Today, um, which was an interesting place because Coco Beach was a few things. First of all, it was the right where the um, space launches were. Right, Cape Canaveral. That's mm-hmm. where it was. So, so I'm living there, and that was pretty exciting because you'd wake up one morning, look out the window, and a rocket ship would go up, right. like a spy satellite. It was that was something. Uh, it's also where they filmed "I Dream a Genie," but that was gone before I got there. Um, and kind of small town America down in Florida, but a great place to start because they let me dive right in. I covered cops, I covered fires, and then I wanted to cover politics. So by the time I'm 23, 24 years old, I'm covering state government um, for a newspaper, and um, that was pretty cool. Boston, Buffalo, and then and then Florida. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. So I was, I was with, yeah, and, and you know, again, if you're in newspapers, most people don't get to start in their hometown. Like I know my friend Ray Dinger, Got out of college and got a job in Delaware County. That doesn't happen often. Usually, right. you have to like start. It's like go to the minor leagues. You got to go to single A ball and work your way up to double A and so on. So I'm down there, and um, I moved from that paper to the Fort Lauderdale News and Sun Sentinel, which was you know a real place, a, a good sized city, and a, and a real newspaper with a circulation. And I covered politics for them. And so I'm 25 uh, at the 1980 presidential election, and they let me cover the Reagan campaign for a while. So that was that was a lot of fun. And I'm with all these really smart national newspaper and network figures, and I'm just trying to learn whatever I can from them because I'm this, you know, dumb kid who just I had pimples three years ago, and all of a sudden I'm covering this thing. So that was that was pretty cool. So how does the transition to Philadelphia happen and in, in the Inquirer? All right, so so the steps are I'm covering politics for that paper, and I went to I moved from uh, I worked for the Fort Lauderdale paper for three years, I guess. Um, and you're single at this time? No, I'm no. married. Man. Oh, you're married? I, oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I didn't, when did when did Judy come into the I picture? I got married. Okay, so I met my wife um, my junior year of college. Okay. Um, she found me because we were all at this party and there was a guy who was hitting on her who she hated and she knew me just a little bit and, and thought I would be safe. So she just came over and said, I'm going to pretend you're my boyfriend. So this guy leaves me alone. So, so that began a beautiful relationship. Four decades later, we're married. Wow. But that's, that's how we met. We were, we lived in the same dorm and she was trying to escape somebody. Um, so we started dating Gosh, I guess I was 21, right? and uh, we got married. When I got out of college, um, and I had to move to Florida, and she lived in Boston, it's like, how are we going to do this? Right. And we just said, well, we're, we're going to get married eventually. Let's get married. So we did. 40, 40 years later, I'm still with the same Where'd you girl. get married? We got married in Boston. That's okay. where she's from. Um, so, yeah. Wow. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah that was... That was <laughs> 
I remember everybody there saying, like, I o't know, they're too young. Right. It's not going to, you know, you should, don't get married this young. But And I dragged her from Boston, which she loved, down to this Florida, which was tough for her, but she hung in. So um, one of the things about being a political writer that was very cool um, is that I got to meet five presidents of the United States, um, although none of them actually when he was president of the United States. I met Gerald Ford. I met um, Reagan. I asked Reagan a question that he got mad at me for. <laughs> um, That's good. It's when he was running, and I said to him, because at the time he was the oldest guy ever to run for president, and I said, what do you say to those people who think you're a little old to be running for office? I mean, he was 68. He's younger than Trump. He's younger than Hillary when she ran. But at the time, it seemed like it was old. And he said, you know, it's only impudent young men like you who ask me those que that question. <laughs> That's so, great. Yeah, it was, it was good. Um, I met the first George Bush when he was vice president. I met the second George Bush when he owned the Texas Rangers. And uh, that, I'll get to that. I was covering some baseball stuff. And I met Trump twice at the USFL trial in New York back in the late 80s and then a fight in Atlantic City um, in the 90s. But so I'm working for the Fort Lauderdale News and um, I just get a call out of the blue by the Detroit Free Press. Um, and they um, were looking to hire somebody to be an education writer and do some politics and I wanted to come back north, even, I mean, Detroit over Fort Lauderdale didn't sound like many people would make that choice, but I, I liked the north, and it was a better job, and it paid more, so we moved uh, when I was, we were 26, my wife and I were 26, we moved to Detroit, worked for the Detroit Free Press. And then? Um, Had both kids there. Wow. Yeah, while we were in Detroit. That was good. Those were good years. We were in Detroit for six years. We bought our first house. Right. We had our two kids. I liked my job. Um, I like I, I like covering education and I like covering politics. Um, so in Detroit, um, they put me on a special projects investigative team. And um, I spent basically the good part of one year doing two long-term breakout series, one of them on sex crimes and sex criminals and um, prison sentencing, and the other one of them on slumlords in Detroit. And that it, was, it was good work, but I got to tell you, by the end of that year, I was just burned out and right. I was depressed. I mean, you'd wake up in the morning and drive to the slums to interview these horribly poor people and you know, freezing in the winter, or I'd be going to jails to interview guys who, you know, were rapists. And I, I just, I couldn't do it anymore. So the sports editor was a friend of mine, Joe Distelheim, who was a buddy of mine. And I said to him, kind of joking, like, I, I can't do this anymore. If you ever want somebody to, like, cover some sports for you, let me know. And he said to me, here's what I could use. I could use somebody who will cover the sports, but not the games. Somebody who will cover, because nobody, nobody wanted to do the job I'm about to say, nobody wanted to do, right? right? He wanted somebody to cover the labor issues, the drug issues, the court issues, sports off the field, that we call it, or sports in real life. And, you know, my background was covering some of that heavy stuff. So he said, yeah, you can do it, but I don't want you, I don't want you covering the games and going into the locker rooms. So it's like, all right. And I made the switch when I was there, did that for a year. Um, or uh, I guess a year, year and a half. 
Um, and then got a call. Uh, I was in Pittsburgh covering a trial of a guy named Curtis Strong who had sold drugs in the Pittsburgh Pirates locker room to players. This is a big trial, 1986, I think. Um, this, this guy was outside a, the lines before outside the yeah, lines. Yeah, and actually yeah. outside the lines did a show on this, or 30 for 30, one of these. I right. think it was 30 for 30, did a show on this like a year ago. And as they're doing, you know how they show like old newspaper stories? Yeah. They showed the story with my byline on it. It oh, was like, that's whoa, great. I wrote that. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm covering this trial in Pittsburgh of this caterer who had sold cocaine in the locker room to um, Keith Hernandez and Tim Raines and Lonnie Smith and all these players have to get up and testify how they bought cocaine. It was a big scandal in baseball, right? Big names. And um, when you go in and cover a trial and you're a reporter, you sit down the first day at a seat and you, there's somebody next to you and you end up just sitting in the same seat the whole time. It's like going into a class. And I sat next to a woman from the Philadelphia Inquirer and we just struck up a friendship. And when I got home... I got a call when I got home to Detroit. I got a call from the editor of the Philadelphia Inquirer who said, "We, you know, we heard what you cover in Detroit, and um, we have an opening here, and we'd like you to do the same thing here." So um, it was July 1987, and I remember it because I had had a baby four days earlier. And we had moved into a house three weeks earlier. Oh wow! And it's like this is not a time to move. And my initial response to him was, you know, I, I really appreciate it. I, you know, I got a baby coming home from the hospital today, and I'm unpacking boxes here. I don't know. And um, I remember talking to my uncle Jerry, and he said, and saying, yeah, I just can't do it. And he said, Well, where do you, where would you rather be in five years? You want to be in Detroit, where, by the way, the newspapers were dying, or you want to go to Philadelphia, where the Enquirer at the time was one of the great papers in the country, and. Closer to my wife's family and East Coast, and Philadelphia just seemed like a great city. So um, I called back the um, the editor of the Inquirer, and I said, "That job's still open." And, and what did, what did your wife think, and what was that conversation like? Um, she was on board. She was good about it. Um, I think that. Again, her family lives on the East Coast, so she was excited about getting back closer to her family. Right. And I think, I mean, we both realized for my career long term, it would be it would be better. So that was your first child you had, or no? That was the second. Second. Okay. Yeah, that was the that was the we had a baby. We had a three year old and a baby when we moved here. An idea by Al Morgani of all people, Glenn's college buddy, gave him his start on WIP. So I'm working for the Enquirer, covering um, sports business, and then. Um, the other thing I got to do for the Inquirer was I covered the, the NFL except for the Eagles. So, and God, papers had money back then, man. They would send me every week to cover the best game in the NFL that wasn't the Eagles. Wow. So, oh, yeah, it was, it was amazing. Like, so you were a nobody national does this NFL anymore. guy. Yeah, I was a national local. NFL guy, yeah. right? Um, so I'd like fly to, you know, San Francisco to cover the Niners Cowboys or I'd go That's cover awesome. a playoff, you know, I'd, yeah. I would uh, I would always get the playoff game in Buffalo. And you uh, probably love that because you're a football guy. Oh yeah. And, yeah. Oh, it was great. It was a it was a it was yeah. a good gig. I liked it. So shortly into that is when WIP is getting started. And um, WIP doesn't have any programming and doesn't really have a lot of people to do it. This and is 93. Right. No, this is no. This is the ninety three is when I came to WIP full time. This okay. is 80, 88, 89. Okay. It's it's just when WIP is starting. And Al Morgani, God bless him, 
my old college friend, comes up with an idea of a show called The Morning Sports Page, where different of us at the Inquirer will come in for one hour a day, two at a time, two each day, and just kind of talk about sports. And he comes to WIP and he sells Tom Brookshire on the idea. He said, yeah, sure. You know, again, they didn't have any programming. So it was Angelo and it was Al and it was me. It was a guy named Jim Cohen. Jason Stark was one of us, like five or six of us. And two of us would go in every day. Angelo, by the way, from the beginning was the best at it. I mean, it's like you could just tell, like, oh, he's really, we're, we don't know what the hell we're doing. And he's really good. And Al is good. Um... But we were we were doing that, and it was it was fun. And then WIP, not WIP, then uh, the Inquirer got cold feet about it because, well, the station was owned by Ed Snyder and Spectacor, and some of us, me especially, covered Ed Snyder and Spectacor. This is when Ed Snyder was trying to build the arena, and I'm interviewing him every day, and then I'm also taking his money to be on the show, and so. The Inquirer said, you can't do it. It's like, you're out. You can't, you know. It's funny, now everybody in newspapers is on the radio. Back then it was it was more of a separation of church and state. Right. So I was really upset. Um, Angelo was so upset that he just took a job here right away. Right. And he, and he got the job. They hired him. And then Al came over. And then uh, like a couple of years, we had started a TV show called The Great Sports Debate mm-hmm. um, on PRISM, which the newspaper didn't like either but WIP is doing well and it's growing and WIP has a formula Tom Bigby is hiring old newspaper guys or not old at the time newspaper guys to move over and do radio because we knew how to tell stories we kind of knew what news was I think Bigby didn't want just regular radio guys although Steve Fredericks and Joni McDonald were two of the greats at the time Bill Campbell but I think he wanted a mix and so they call me in 19, he calls me in 1993 for an interview. We did the interview um, down at the, the, the uh, Holiday Inn down near the stadium, um, or the Hilton, excuse me, the Hilton, mm-hmm. the Jaworski Hilton down near the stadium for lunch. I'm going with Bigby, and he's, he's making me an offer. He's making me a job offer to come in. And I remember I excused myself to go to the men's room. And I, I walked into the men's room, and you stand at the urinal. This story has nothing to do with anything, but it's one of my favorite stories. I'm standing at the urinal, and I just kind of looked to my right, and it was Wayne Gretzky. <laughs> Again, this has nothing to do with anything, but right. I'll, always re- I'll always associate coming to WIP with the time I peed next to Wayne Gretzky. Right after you got an offer. Right yeah. after I got an offer. Yeah. It was a pretty, pretty big day. Um, right. The great one. Do you talk to him or not? Uh, I just, well, you're at a urinal. Right, you know, yeah. it's like you don't sounds, do a lot. It's Wayne right? Gretzky, yeah. Right. So, like, you know, he finished, went to wash his hands. I went to wash my hands. I yeah. said, hey, Wayne, you know, you're, you're a big fan of your work. Right. right? It's a men's room. Nobody talks in right. a men's room. Right. You're not going to turn to him mid business and go, like, Wayne. Right, yeah. Oh, sorry. The great one. Right. <laughs> See why they call you the great one. <laughs> no. Um, so, anyway, December 6, 1993 was my first show. And I was solo for the first week, two hours. I think it was 10 to noon. Solo or? Just for the first week. Mm -hmm. Um, Jody, uh, I was going to work with Jody. And um, Jody Jody took off that week. So it was just me. And it's two hours. So it should be easy. But man, it's like I just prepared so much stuff. and And I didn't know what the hell I was doing. But I survived it. And then I got to work with Joni McDonald for six years, which was a real pleasure because he was, um, 
is a pro and he's funny and he really helped me grow and um, we had a good chemistry it was that was a lot of fun so so 25 years later I mean you I, I what I admire about you is you kind of have your foot in so many different buckets like you keep it you have the movies thing you have the food thing um, the Contra Hawk and Brewery you did the books you're, you still do the radio and, and you and Ray do a show that is extremely unique and, and popular in the city so it's like you kind of have all these branches going for you have your family situation and I, and I respect that from an outside perspective but um, what like how does this happen for you and what do you love most and all that stuff okay so um, I am really I am really lucky in that um, I have a lot of jobs but I've never had a real job I've never had a job where I felt like, oh, jeez, I gotta get up, I gotta go to work. I mean, I'd be lying if I didn't say that over the years when I was doing 28 hours of radio a week, there would be that, you know, Thursday in June when there's nothing to talk about. And right. I just kind of, oh, this is gonna be a tough one. But I mean, my life is I get to um, be on the radio with some great partners and just. You know, share this time with Philadelphia sports fans who I love, um, who give me the privilege of coming into their house or their car and sharing time. That's a privilege, and I, I appreciate that immensely, immensely. I've had the chance to work with great people. Um, Jody is just a, a class act, and, and I love the guy, and, and funny as can be, and, and a nice guy. Um, Angelo, who really, who helped me get the job and, you know, has given me a lot of uh, opportunity to help along the way is is terrific. And Ray is one of my best friends. You know, Ray is, is a guy who I knew a little bit before we started working together. But once we started working together, we became really close pals. And the trick to that show, if there is a trick to it, is we pretend we're not doing radio. We just we just it's two guys sitting over a beer well ray doesn't have a beer so <laughs> a coffee <laughs> sitting over, or whatever. he doesn't have a, a coffee, coffee either. <laughs> an, an enormous diet soda in ray's right. case but the, the whole purpose of that show and it's that's i mean this is a lot of wip is two guys sitting in a bar sitting in a restaurant just talking and uh, the other people which is the audience is allowed to either listen in or join in the conversation and um and maybe it's gotten away from that a little bit but you guys at, at the core keep it there on that uh, those saturdays and sundays i think people really really like that i appreciate that yeah. and and you know we have the luxury of not having to fill 25 hours a week right and and thinking like oh man we got to come up with you know what's your favorite you know garbage can color right, right? we don't we, right. we call from mom answer it Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really have the luxury that we don't have to do that and so we just have a really good time and we've decided to just take that show where we want to take it and we mix in other stuff um the way the movie stuff and the food stuff got started is kind of play you just did as well I don't yeah know well i'll tell you yeah. about the radio stuff yeah. first so okay. the radio stuff is that um 
I've over the 25 years I've worked most shifts at WIP. I did midday, I did afternoon drive, I did evenings and night times, um, I did weekends. I've done a lot of shifts, and back when I was doing nights in the mid 90s, it was when the Phillies were not on WIP, right? And so it's a summer night, and the Phillies are on another station, and I got I'm doing a sports show competing against the Phillies. What am I going to do in the summer, right? And so I started this thing called I – kn- I knew whenever I talked about movies, people were interested. So I started a thing called The Movie Club for Men, where one night a week we would just talk about a guy movie or two. And that, that really worked. Led to a book I did with Ray. Um, and then the food thing started. I was just – again, like, like a lot of stuff on the radio. I'm on the air one night, and I said, yeah, I wonder where it is. I don't even think I was trolling for calls, but it's like I wonder who's got the best pizza in Philadelphia. Right, just kind of conversation, and boom, 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 boom. Right, twelve lights light up immediately. Like if you don't get pizza at Santucci's, you're <laughs> right, an idiot. Right. right? How can you not say it's Tacanelli's? And I realized like people have really strong opinions on this. Let's find the best pizza in Philadelphia. Again, it's a summer. I'm looking for programming, and food. And so I did that, and it was a big hit, and then I did it again and again, and then eventually we took it out of the studio, made it an event, and now we get, you know, hundreds of people come to it. And it's, it, and I got to say, I appreciate along the way the program directors that I've had here, um, from Tom Bigby to Tom Lee to Andy Bloom to Spike, have all been really supportive in letting me do that stuff that's not just, you know, why aren't you talking Eagles? Right. They've let me stray from that, and, and I've enjoyed it. Um, and then the other part of this, as you said, is, and this is where I'm really lucky. So I'm really lucky because I've never worked in my life in a job that I didn't love, and I've been able to parlay some of that into other stuff. I'm a beer guy. I've always liked drinking beer. I've always been interested in beer and how they make it and what styles I like. Um, a few years ago, some guys I knew decided they wanted to open a brewery. They were looking for partners. I figured, well, there's 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 ways I could lose my money that are less fun than this. I'm in. So I, you know, at least I'll get a seat at the bar yeah. if I if it doesn't work. And so I became one of the partners in Conchock and Brewing Company and. And it's work. We started with one um, brew pub, and now we're building our fifth. And we, you can buy us now in Pennsylvania, Jersey, Delaware, where you know we're expanding. Um, and it's a blast. Um, I've had the chance to, um, to write books because of this. Right. Um, I've written five bu- I wrote a book with Angelo. I wrote a book with Ray. I wrote a book with Big Daddy, and I'm doing another. Uh, which is a whole different experience because <laughs> he's Big Daddy. Right. Um, and then I started to get into acting because somebody who had heard me on the radio said, hey, you know, we got this small part in a commercial. You want to do it? And I did, and that led to other stuff. And, yeah, this this year um, I was in I, – I, I'm getting old, all right? And I don't want to call this – You can't a, tell, though. Well, that's nice of you to yeah. say. Okay. I mean, I got you. Listen, as I said, my dad's still alive and great. So I figure I got a good amount of time left. You look at your dad and figure if he's doing well, you'll be okay. Um, but I don't want to call this a bucket list, but I kind of have the philosophy that if you don't keep trying new things, you just get old and stale and that's when it's over. So I wanted to challenge myself and I've never s- sung or danced like outside of my 
shower stall or, you know, a wedding. And I'm the guy who, when he dances, like, you know, my limbs never move more than three inches away from my body, right? I'm not making a statement on the dance floor, but I thought, I want to see if I can do this. So I tried out for a musical, Guys and Dolls. I got a part, and I sung and danced, and I loved it, man. I loved it. What do you attribute to... um all of your like all of these doors opening for you um is it your relationship with it's probably a combination of things but i mean it's your relationships with people it's your work ethic it's just sheer luck at times Um, i think it's all of those yeah yeah i mean listen as i said i won the lottery luck i've been lucky my whole life i'm lucky with my family i'm lucky with my job i just know that i'm that i'm lucky but i also you know what i think a lot of it is I think a lot of it is if you just wanted to do something and think you can do something and have the balls to say, I'm going to go for this, you can get it. And I, I wanted to write a book, so I just went out there and, and worked on it until I got it. I wanted to act in a movie, so I just kept trying to do it until I do it. So um, I think a lot of life is just not being scared to fail, not being, you know, just saying I'm going to try to do this and, and not being scared to try What's um, fatherhood been like, and your sons are in Philly, or yeah, well, one, one, okay. So we have two sons. Um, they're both doctors. My older son Ted is a pediatric ER doctor outside of Boston. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean he's got he's got a real job. He loves it, but you know he's. Boston just coincidentally, or did he... He went to school up okay. there. Um, well, again, my wife's family's up there, right, so we were right. up there a lot. Okay. So he was familiar with, with the area and always and always liked it up there. Um, so um, he went to college up at Tufts University outside of Boston and then went to med school there and then met a girl from there, married the girl. And so, yeah, he was going to go there or he was going to come here to Children's and alas, he... He chose that one. Right. I would love him to be here, but they're happy. I have two little grandsons, six and three, Carl and Benny. I, I love them to death. They're the greatest. It's like everybody else. My grandkids are the best in the world. Um, he and his wife, Emily, live on, uh, outside of Boston in a, in a leafy Bernie Sandersy town called Wayland, Mass. Yep. Um, and they're great. They're just, they're great. My younger son, Alex is um, a pathology resident at Penn. Um, he likes doing autopsies. They're putting you to shame. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Oh, no, I'm Jeez. the dumbest. Here's the thing. We sit around at the family, and I'm by far the dumbest person in the family. It's, they're having these high-level conversations. My wife is really smart, and they're just talking, and I'm, I'm like, not even keeping up with it. So that, that's okay. It's not, it's not bad to be the dumbest person in the family. Um, he's a pathology resident at Penn. He and his husband, Nathan, um, just bought a house in Media, which is great because I live 15 minutes from Media. So I love going out there and they're, uh, they're happy. They're good. Throughout his career, Glenn Macknell has skillfully been able to take what he's passionate about and develop it into work. Most importantly for Glenn, he's made an imprint in the Philadelphia sports community and that he cherishes. Times are good in Philly sports for the most part. I mean, you know, if, if day by day nuance we can get into it, but like I'm still riding away. Yeah, the from, they just won the Super Bowl. You know, uh, the Sixers are looking it. good. The yeah. Phillies should be doing good. Uh, are you? You're still doing stuff. You're still happy. You're writing a book. You're still enjoy your radio show with Ray, and every, everything is good. Everything is great, and um, an Eagles pregame. 
And he, and I lo- I love yeah. hosting the Eagles pregame. I really do. I love uh, I love it in studio, but I really love being down there at the stadium three hours before the game. You know, as the fans come out, talking to the fans. Um, as I said, the the best part of the job to me, it really is, is just as a guy who didn't grow up in Philadelphia and didn't have a connection with the Philadelphia fan before um, coming here. I love this fan base and just really consider myself fortunate to be part of that whole thing, that whole enterprise. Um, I am delighted that WIP, <laughs> WIP five years ago, actually it was December 6th too, it was my 20th anniversary, decided that they didn't want me to work every day anymore. It was their call, not mine. Uh, at the time, I was really upset about it. As it's turned out for me, it's great. I love working two or three days a week at the station and then doing other things outside of it. Uh, I love keeping my hand in it. Um, and, you know, depending on on, uh, on everything, I'd love to continue doing it forever. And lastly, um, so you've been in, and I didn't even realize, but you, you've been in Buffalo and Boston and Detroit and Fort Lauderdale and now in Philly. Um, you know, people say what they want about sports fans, and I don't know if it's like overblown, but is there a stark difference that you see from city to city in terms of sports oh, fandom? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So Buffalo is where I grew up, and Buffalo is great, um, and it's a really supportive fan, not as critical of a fan. Right. Buffalo is a smaller town and, and to some degree, although they don't want to say it, Buffalo's got a bit of an inferiority complex. And because like the Bills have threatened to leave a few times, the fans, they're like they're happy to have a team and they'll support the team. They're great fans, but they they're definitely not as critical. Um Florida was a terrible sports right. place. I mean, you know, I was down there. The Miami Dolphins. Is, yeah. I, I didn't like that. Detroit's a good sports town. But Philadelphia is different, and it's every cliche to say this is a passionate town, and, and I'd love to give you words other than that, but I th- love the fact that in the, here's how I feel about sports in Philadelphia. Um, this is a city that has world-class universities, and that's great, and amazing cultural institutions, you know, the, the Art Institute and the Science Museums and so on. Um Hospitals, second to none. Um, but nobody paints their face to go cheer on the hospital. Um, and you're not going to get a million and a half people at a rally over the Science Museum. Sports in Philadelphia is the thing that bonds everybody, um, the people in the city and the suburbs, the shoe shine guy and the CEO. Um, black people and white people, young guys and old guys. Sports is the first thing that when you're a kid you can talk to an adult on kind of an equal plane, right? You, you can't talk to your dad about politics or sex or business, but you can talk to your dad about sports. And in this city, it is the great uh, common denominator. It's the binder that, for everybody. I remember uh, last Monday after the Eagles – saved their season by beating the New York Giants late in a game that they didn't look very good. I was in the city, on, and when you're in Philadelphia on a Monday morning after an Eagles game, you know within five seconds if they won or lost, 
right? I mean, you can tell. if A Martian could come down <laughs> and know if the Eagles had won or lost because people would be miserable or on this Monday after they won – everybody's smiling. I went to the Wawa and everybody's happy. I went to get gas and everybody's happy. And sports means so much in this city to so many people that for me, just to be that small part of it, like the guy who, who helps people talk about it, think about it, it's it's the greatest. Thanks, Glenn. Appreciate hey, it. thank you. It's my pleasure. Glenn Mack now, WIP. Thanks for listening to Wired This Way. Please subscribe and rate the show on Apple Podcasts and Google Play and however you listen to your podcasts. My name's Andrew Porter, and if you'd like to sponsor the podcast, please email me at andrew.porter at entercom.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.